0: Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Find your new ride at Kia Macomb's all-new location at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Come find out why Macomb loves Kia Macomb at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Right on the corner, right on the price. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: Everyone, and welcome to Midday Super Talk, Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbard, along with Will East, in for the vacationing rhino. Here we are, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music. Morning, Will. Good morning. Little late uh, piping up to get the show started. I had to talk to the boss for a minute. Boss poked his head in and wanted to share some info uh, with me, which I appreciate. But uh, it's hot out there, again. And it's, it's quite warm.
2: It's uh, I had a uh, a pack of uh, soft drinks that I left in the back of my SUV. Yeah. Um, I walked up to my truck yesterday after leaving this, the station about 6, 630. Walked outside, and I noticed this, this liquid dripping from my vehicle. <laughs> and it was those drinks that had gotten so hot, one of them popped.
1: Uh, well, what about Phoenix? Phoenix, uh Let's see, 19 straight days with temperatures above 100, looking for 110, I believe, today. Wow. That seems weird. Even at night, it's like 95. You ever mm-hmm. been out there in the summer? I've never been out there. Spent a lot of time out there through the years on business, and yeah, it's it's hot. They say, well, it's a dry heat. <laughs> Well, it's dry in an oven, too, but stick your head in there, see what you think about that. That's a good point. Uh, Yeah, it's hot, but 110 is, like, incredible, and that's just really, really hot. So the previous record for nighttime was 93, and that was set in 2009, so it's presently hovering around 95 in the evening. Speaking of hot, what about the Powerball jackpot?
2: $900 million? Is that what the latest is?
1: It's a billion now it's because, a billion. yeah, the drawing last night did not uh, pull a winner. So that has now surged to $1 billion. Wow. The balls last night, if you didn't see, were 5, 8, 9, 17, 41. The Powerball was 21. The jackpot was $900 million. Next drawing will be tomorrow for the Powerball. And that jackpot is expected to be the third highest in U.S. history. Wow. How about that?
2: That's incredible. Yeah. And when he gets up that high, that people just start going crazy and start... People that normally don't buy tickets yeah. will start to buy tickets at that point.
1: Yep. So uh, if you don't... You win a billion would be, by the way, paid in yearly increments. If you want a lump sum cash payment, it's merely $516 million before taxes, of course. So. Yeah. <laughs> but that's uh, really something. We got uh, both of those jackpots well on up there. Watching the markets this morning with with interest, because a couple of banks had their earnings. Big banks announced earnings, and both did very well. Uh, Bank of America and Citibank uh, announced, and they topped expectations. So that's a good thing. And the markets like that. Interesting uh, thing going on there. And then also we got, I believe it's Netflix and Tesla are scheduled to report earnings after the bell today. Here's what I think. If that comes in positive, I think the market's going to go crazy. I really do. We did get retail sales in this morning, and retail sales came in a little below where they were expected to be. And so uh, that was weighing on the market early on in the session. But it it just seems like there's just a positive feeling about what we're going to see from Netflix and, and Tesla. Interesting. And this AI explosion, of course, is, is also driving a good bit of the market. But so the markets are doing well. And the other thing that's going on is more and more economists are sort of backing off their prediction of a recession, which is interesting. I believe that would, in fact, benefit Joe Biden. If he's able to get through the next year and a half leading up to the election without the nation plunging into a recession. It's going to set up pretty well for him, mm-hmm. is, uh, is kind of what I'm thinking. The um, inflation, of course, is still top of mind. Most people not happy with the situation there, understandably so, as we discussed yesterday. Real wages, that's the calculation, the computation of nominal wages, how much wages have gone up just strictly in terms of dollars, less the amount inflation has increased. So, even though wages are up uh, some 10%, inflation, since he took office, up about 15%, and so he's boasting about wages being up. Well, they are, from from a nominal perspective, just in absolute terms, but net of inflation, we're upside down. I think most Americans see that, agree with that. In addition, have you seen this? Home prices. Record high because there's a supply shortage, and that has worsened. So in June, near record high of uh, median price of home. It jumped 1.9% from the previous month. It is now, in this country, it's hard to believe, the median price of a home, 426000 bucks. That's just phenomenal. That's out of reach for most people.
2: Is that because most people aren't selling their homes like they normally would because the price of buying a new
1: home is so crazy because of interest rates? It is. That is a major factor. And so the only way to, of course, bring prices down is with more supply. And there's still a shortage. There's a constraint of houses of inventory available for sale. And that is exactly right. It's because people aren't... Going through the process, the progression of, well, I bought a house now, I've, I've paid down on it some, I'm in better financial condition. As time goes on, most people, their income increases. I'm looking to upgrade, or maybe I started a family, I need more space, a variety of reasons. And uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're squatting where they are, because they know that, gee, I'd be getting out of a... 3 4% mortgage and yeah. jumping into a 7% mortgage, that's significant, and that's just out of reach for most customers. I will say that Donald Trump, in his last couple of rallies, he's been focusing more and more on these kitchen table issues, and I applaud him for that. He, he seems to be able to do that at an understandable level in terms that the average American understands more than any other candidate. And he's done a pretty good job of that. And he's expressed, he's laid out his plans uh, for the economy, starting with getting the heck out of the way of the American energy industry. He gets that. He knows that's crucial. He still talks about trade deals. But the other thing he really, really harps on is interest rates. Interest, as they say in New York. Interest rates. We kind of kind of jumble all that together here in the South, right? Interest, It's interest rates. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, that's controlled by the Fed. But to a great extent, the Fed chairman, in order to keep their job, they work to kind of appease their boss, that would be the president. And so he's really pushing hard. He's, he, he, he goes on to say that it's monetary policy under Biden, that would be interest rate, uh, handling by the Fed is uh, really wreaking havoc on American households he He makes the case for that and says that you know if he 's elected he would work to bring those interest rates down now the question is it's hard it 's hard to measure honestly we have seen inflation drop it is true over the last twelve months it 's dropped precipitously. is that because of The increase in interest rates, because we've had, what, 11 price hikes over that period? Uh, Pardon me, rate hikes, rate hikes. It's hard to tell. It's almost impossible to measure without doing all sorts of surveys of consumers. Hey, did you, you stand by on buying something, a major purchase, a vehicle, appliances, things you would finance, houses, did you delay those or put those off simply because of the finance cost? And if if in doing so that allowed supply to sort of catch up with demand and that brought that brought uh, prices down, it's just hard to measure again how effective F- uh, the Fed's monetary policy has been at combating inflation. But he says that uh, he wants to return to those days the other thing that's once again been fact-checked is this Biden claim that he created 13 billion jobs since he's been in office. We're still not back to the level we are we were pre-pandemic, which should be the basis of measurement and comparison, not not since he's been in office when they shut the economy down just before that. We're in the Element Well Studios. Dr. Jennifer Bryan of the Mississippi State Medical Association joins us at 10:37. Welcome back, everyone. It's midday's Super Talk Mississippi. We are in the Element Well studio. Once again, Dr. Jennifer Bryan with the Mississippi State Medical Association joins us in the next segment to talk about the new vaccine exemptions. Uh, That was a ruling handed down in April, I believe, which allows children who enroll in public schools in Mississippi to seek either a medical or a religious exemption from what were required vaccinations, they can uh, do so. There's a process for that. You can find out more about that at the Department of Health's website. But she's going to be on and share her thoughts on that. And then Brian Haydad, he is, of course, the co-host of Sports Talk, In the wildly popular Thunder and Lightning podcast, he's up in Nashville with Sports Talk team for SEC Media Days.
2: That's right. Today is Zach Arnett's turn at the podium, his first SEC Media Days as head coach of the Bulldogs. And they're there right now. They're sending us videos and pictures and all kinds of stuff. And they had a big old time yesterday. Yeah. Um at the it's the first time it's I believe it's the first time it's been in Nashville and they announced yesterday that next year's SEC Media Days will be in Dallas. Because of Texas, right. Because of Texas. Oh, now we oh. added the SEC added Texas A and M. They didn't go to Texas for SEC Media Days. Ah, so you know true. it's kinda like, Well, if Texas joins, then we go right over there.
1: That's true. Well that'll be something.
2: Yeah, I mean it's it's getting big time. Um uh, Sankey, had a, the SEC commissioner, had a lot of comments yesterday. He did not wear a tie, and he revealed why he did not wear a tie. Sankey didn't? Yeah, Sankey did not SEC wear a tie. SEC commissioner. During his presentation, he said the reason why was because last year, before the SEC Media Days event kicked off, he was having a conversation with Mike Leach, and Leach and him got into a discussion, not about football or conference realignment or NIL or any of that stuff, about the uselessness of neckties.
1: Okay.
3: And now
2: it's it's the modern version of a powdered wig, <laughs> so it went away. So in honor of Mike Leach, he didn't wear a necktie. Okay, they?
1: well that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah, I'm just shocked, shall I say, that uh, he had a conversation with Coach Leach, and it didn't in- involve football. I'm, yeah. shocked, I'm shocked at that. <laughs> Man, what a character! He's certainly missed. I miss him. Uh, no doubt about it. Senator Joe Manchin, you know who he is. He's 75 years old. Would you have thought that? 75. He looks pretty good for 75. I agree. Well, there's all kinds of buzz about him possibly running for president, but not as a Democrat. In this new third party, I guess it's really not new, you just don't hear a lot about it, the No Labels Party? You familiar with that? I've never heard of it. Yeah. Most people haven't, but... There was a no-labels event in uh, New Hampshire yesterday, and he headlined this event. And there's some speculation about, is Joe going to jump in? So here's the question. If he runs as an independent, does that siphon votes from the Republican candidate, the Democrat candidate? or well, perhaps both. I can't help but think about Ross Perot, and who was a formidable independent with a whole bunch of money. And it's widely believed that uh, he was a spoiler uh, in when he ran for election. I believe that was in 1992.
2: Yeah. Stole a lot of votes from Bush. Probably more votes from Bush than Clinton. Yeah. The first Bush. Yep. Agree. You know, Manchin's an interesting one because he's a... A member of the Democratic Party, a pretty prominent senator, um, if he did run on a third-party ticket, yep. I could see him taking votes from both. Now, it, of course, the question is, which side does he take the, the votes from? I would argue that it would probably be from the Biden side because of the far left-wing policies that some Democrats don't
1: like. I think that's true, and and... I mean, again, it's all about the independents in these handful of counties. It's looking more like, however, that Georgia, crazy as it sounds, could be the pivotal state yeah. in the twenty-four election. In fact, if in, in traditionally, historically, that's been in the Republicans' favor for president. Here's the other thing. Think about this. Let's say Manchin runs. Let's say he wins... A state or two, and you know how electoral votes are assigned based on the winner in that in that state. Some states, however, have laws. I believe two or three have passed. Nebraska, law. is uh, it Nevada? Maybe, maybe not. There's a couple, right? I know
2: Nebraska is the one that I always, you know, it's always split.
1: Right, right. right. They have a, a different process, but but where I was going was either a couple are considering or they have. Uh, enacted legislation where they assign their electoral votes to whomever wins the popular vote. Now, I believe that's where that's occurred, and I have to look at it. I don't, I don't want to mislead folks here. I know it's been discussed considerably, and all the states that I've seen that have considered it are blue states where it's not going to matter. Because in general, a Democrat's going to win the popular vote, as they have for forever. Yeah. And that's mainly because of the large population in California, New York, and the other big blue states. But here's where I was going. If he were to pull off a state or two, we may have a situation where no candidate receives the required number of electoral votes.
2: In which case it would go to the House.
1: To the, that's right. To Congress. To, to determine who's the president.
2: Which it's only done one time, if memory serves me correctly, I could be wrong and that was Rutherford B Hayes from Ohio he won um when it went to the uh house of representatives i believe that's the only time that's ever happened that would be fascinating
1: right yeah it's well me- then
2: it comes down to who controls you know congress
1: yeah that would just be crazy uh, uh but that's possibly where we're where we're headed, yes, but, but Nebraska he, and Maine, by would, the way. Maine. Maine, okay. Yep. But would he do that? Would Manchin do that? Man, I don't know. And I'm not sure he can win a state, honestly. I I, I just He don't. might be at the
2: age, seventy five, yeah. to where I mean he's been governor of West Virginia, he's been the senator for West Virginia, he's very wealthy. Yep. Uh, from his uh business efforts. Yep. Maybe he says Let's do it. Let's give it a run. Let's see what happens.
1: Well, I think part of what's driving him, his decision here, is that in polls, uh, as a candidate for senator to be reelected, in the Republican primary, he's facing former governor Jim Justice, who's leading him by double digits. I also learned in, in looking into that a little bit that they're close friends. The governor, Jim Justice, the senator, Joe Manchin, are close friends. And so maybe it's Manchin says, well, you know, reading the tea leaves, it doesn't look like I'm going to get reelected as senator. At this point, he can't win the primary. The governor, Jim Justice, is leading, and has been, since he announced his candidacy for senator. Maybe Manchin says, you know what, I'm 75, don't know how many more years of this I got in me, just to go down in history here, I'm gonna run for president. Doesn't look like I'm gonna get reelected to the U.S. Senate. Uh, that could be crossing his mind, certainly, at a minimum. But wow. So Justice has run as a Democrat? Uh, no, but he's but he's i I'm pardon, pardon me, I misstated that. He's running as a Republican and but in the head-to-head matchup, if Manchin were the Republican primary Uh, candidate, uh, pardon me, Republican candidate, he gets trounced by Justice as a Republican. I hope I said that right. Yeah, Manchin, a Democrat, pardon me, it's not in the primary, it's in a head-to-head general election match. Yeah, because Justice has jumped around. I mean, he was a Republican, a Democrat, a Republican. He he has. And I'm thinking that Manchin is is actually talked about, uh, or it's been discussed. He's never said anything about jumping parties, but he... He doesn't really caucus 100% with the, with the Democrats, though he represents the Democrat Party. But in head-to-head general election matchups, I'm not sure that Manchin has a Republican challenger. He may. Seems like there may be a state-level politician that's challenging him in the primary. But expecting that he would win the primary and then face justice head-to-head in a general election, those polls show that Manchin is down to justice by double digits. So I think Joe's saying, doesn't look good for me to get reelected to the Senate. I might as well go ahead and run for president. I mean, it's a thought. Hmm. Interesting uh, stuff there going on in West Virginia. And by the way, if you're thinking about Manchin picking off West Virginia as one of those states, I don't know about that. Trump carried it by a wide margin in the last cycle and the prior one as well. We're stepping aside for a break in the Element Well studio. Dr. Jennifer Bryan joins us next. Stay with us.
0: The rain the rain I I some, attention adoring fans. It's time for Middays with Gerard Gibbert.
1: back, everyone. Middays is back with you from the Element Wealth Studio. We welcome now to the program Dr. Jennifer Bryan, board member of the Mississippi State Medical Association. We appreciate you joining us there, Dr. Bryan. Thank you for
3: having me. It's good to see
1: you again. Yes, yeah, so we wanted to uh, get you on to talk to us about this um, religious and medical exemption that uh, are now available uh, to those seeking such exemptions from the childhood certain childhood vaccinations. I think a judge ruled that the state had to implement such a program, instructed the Department of Health to do so. Dr. Edney, of course, leads that organization, has been busy putting that program together, went into effect yesterday. We, we talked a little bit about it. There, there are two routes, as I understand it. There's a medical exemption, and then there's a religious exemption, and, and both require certain criteria to be met. And then the state epidemiologist, I believe, would sign off and approve those exemptions. What do you think about all this? Well,
3: first, me thank you for, for having me on today to talk about this. It's, it's a very important issue that's facing our state as we tackle some serious public health issues. Um, and I want to get out in the open, you know, that the, the medical association, uh, there isn't a disagreement of this interpretation and really stands with the, the former Supreme Court ruling that vaccines are safe, effective, and really necessary to keep our population healthy. Um, that being said, um, you know, and the way this has come out, you're right, the health department has had to. To quickly pull a plan together, um, we disagree respectfully with the court and with the attorney general's opinion. Vaccines, as we will never talk about on this show, are, are one of the greatest in the, in the future of Advent in human history and responsible for the health of the nation. So let's outline now that I've kind of gotten that out of the way. There are a couple of processes. One, you mentioned the medical exemption. That's been in place for quite some time. We don't get a lot of those because, quite honestly, there are so few. Uh, medical exemptions that apply since vaccines are so yeah. safe yeah. and effective. Um, however, with religious exemptions, um, this new policy, the process is such that if you feel that you, your religion um, prohibits you from vaccinating your child or, um, or a loved one guard, that you're a guardian of, you contact your local health department There's a form. There's a video that goes over the risk of going unvaccinated to yourself and to the community. Um, and and then they talk with the nurse about the implications. This doesn't undo our standing law which is if there is evidence of vaccine-preventable illness like measles, mumps, rubella, so on in the community, then the unvaccinated child still will be removed from circulation until that threat has passed. So once that's kind of gone over um, and times and um, it goes to the the uh, epidemiologist, either the state epidemiologist or the epidemiologist to on off phone. And my understanding is that all completed applications will be approved
1: if they go through the steps. So what, uh, what would qualify as a religious exemption under this order?
3: So um, my understanding is that um, if someone says that this is their religion, then um, the then we have to take them at their sincere word, that truly this is part of their religion. I don't know. I sat around with a pediatrician colleague this morning, bouncing around some ideas about which religions truly <laughs> would, uh, would allow for this um, or, or make this part of the religion. Um, the only one I could even possibly think of is, is so, um, it's just not even in this state. So I, I don't. I don't know of any religions that that it's their main tenet by any means. So uh, it'll be interesting to watch unfold uh, how many people actually utilize this. but um, my understanding is that they go through the process; it's now laid out that they can apply. To me, it's a
1: philosophical request, still, and not religion. Okay, I see. Do Do you expect that there would be a lot of applications for this exemption? I mean, are there just like lots of people lined up for this?
3: No, no, um, and we haven't gotten it over the years. We know there's been a lot of unrest since COVID and what everybody has gone through. Yeah. These decisions are made in emotion and not fact. I think the moms that raised their kids in the 50s, 50s and 60s and the daddies, new people who had died, new paralyzed children, new deaf children, saw kids, intubated and understood. And those moms have their kids in line at school getting the vaccines and all of that as they came available. We have enjoyed vaccines, um, we live longer, we are healthier, we have herd immunity, uh, all, all of these things. And so we've almost forgotten what it's like to see kids go blind or to go deaf or to have encephalitis, to die. And sadly, it may just be that we have to see that pinnacle well in a little bit before people understand that, um, well, I think most people do understand, but those who are opposed to this and really understand have the questions? I think it's going to take a certain kind point of some to see that Um it takes over ninety five percent of the population to be immunized against legal to enjoy the protection that we have. We've led hmm. the nation, number one in the country, and we've done very well. Hmm. It's, it's a
1: sad. It's, it's a sad day. Hmm. So you're aware that there is a, a pretty well organized, uh has been a well organized effort. MPVR is the. The I think it's Mississippi Parents for Vaccine Rights, I, I think is the name of the organization. And, and and they've been very vocal, very outspoken, very active for some time, even pre-COVID, to get this done in Mississippi. Now, you're aware there are a number of states, I think most states, actually have some sort of religious exemption. I, I'm just curious how many people are actually out there that would decline these vaccinations. And the other thing that that I've... I've seen uh, recently in the news, uh, Dr. Bryan, is is that there are lots of illegal immigrant kids with tuberculosis passing into this country. <laughs> it's it's thought that they're in forty four states. Forty four states have tuberculosis cases. Under
3: under and, and, and that's that's so true of all of that. are a global People now. We fly all over the world and people are picking things up and bringing them in and crossing the border, as you said. But we do have a vocal minority. And let me say that I I know that these parents love their children and and they're trying to do what's best for their children. However, uh, the physicians stand with the facts and the science. And it's very, very clear how safe and effective vaccines are. So I don't, answer the question, anticipate a lot of applications. I really do not. I don't have any hesitation about really anyone in my practice when they come in. They all want their kids vaccinated. They want them safe. They understand the threat of infectious disease and they trust in their bedside position when they say there's something to say. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's difficult. It's a difficult period, but I do hope that, I, I do think most people are reasonable about this issue, and, and have a conversation
1: with your doctor, you yeah. know, I sit down and talk and look at, the, look at the real information. Yeah. Yeah, so one of the problems with the, just back on this tuberculosis case, is the government says that they're only in their custody for a short period of time, and that treatment for tuberculosis cases usually requires three to nine
3: months. It does. And it is, uh, that's also been a, a great public health um, with the directly their therapy and really being able quarantine has been heavily used over the years with that. You identify cases, isolate, mm-hmm. treat them, in the health department journalistic when you don't have to spread. So it's um it's interesting to see as, as people migrate and, and travel and all the 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 bumps and disease processes that we see. Yeah. And I gotta say again, Mississippi was number one in vaccine preventable illness and mm-hmm. you hate to see us losing this foothold. You really do. That's interesting. So hopefully we won't.
1: Yeah. So (laughs)
3: hopefully
1: we got a couple of minutes left. What What's your take on the just the current state of uh, healthcare, the healthcare industry in general in the state of Mississippi? We've seen hospitals announcing layoffs. We've seen hospital closures and hospitals that are struggling economically.
3: I think the big picture is that over the past 20 years, large hospital systems fought up physician practices in many ways, and they've been service lines, and they really had good motives about providing expanded services to the community. The pandemic has hit. There are new financial strains that are facing all industries, especially healthcare, staffing shortages, and so on. And so it's a natural evolution to have staffing shortages. The patients know it. They experience it. Uh, financial struggles, so we're seeing some of that fallout. But one of the wonderful things we're seeing is the rise of physician-owned practices again. A lot hmm. of doctors going back into private practice. Hmm. I, I think there's more to this at home, and we're gonna—it's gonna eventually work out the positive for everyone.
1: Hmm. but We've got some miles to go before we sleep. gotcha you, Dr. Jennifer Bryan has been our guest on midday. It's always good to talk to you, doctor. Appreciate you coming on. We'll talk soon. Good to see you You bet. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. Brian Haydad at eleven oh five from Nashville. Stay with us. Three Dog Night, bumping us into this segment here on Middays.
2: Did you see the latest from uh, Representative Omar? You know, it's hot outside, right? Yeah. Did you see what she tweeted out yesterday? No. She said, quote, The Earth just broke the record for the hottest day in 120,000 years. Huh? In fact, we broke it on three separate days. National Climate Emergency Now.
1: Oh, geez. Okay.
2: Community Notes for Twitter added, It's not possible to have accurately (laughs) measured the daily temperature (laughs) dating back 120,000 years, so this tweet should not be represented as fact. NASA climate scientists recognize 1880 as the start (laughs) of modern climate
1: records. The entire party just engages in these falsehoods, in this fear-mongering. I mean, whether it's economic, climate, you know, radicalism, it just, across the spectrum of subject matter, that's how they that's how they operate. And it's, uh, it gets just tiring after a while. It's yeah. exhausting. So I, I did look up this uh, assignment of electoral votes based on popular votes. So here's Here's where we are. There's actually an organization called National Popular Vote. And they're pushing for this. So this, uh, the bill will take effect when enacted into law by states possessing 270 electoral votes, which is the majority required to win the presidency. As of right now, it's been enacted into law. This, this is a bill that would have a state's electoral votes assigned based on the candidate who wins the popular, the national popular vote. So, for example, let's look at Mississippi. If we were to to enact this and and, uh, the requirements as stated here uh, where a number of states would um, put this into law and the total number of electoral votes in those states, okay, is 270 or more, the minimum 270 to win the presidency. That means that in here in Mississippi, for example, we have six electoral votes. If we voted for, for example, the Republican candidate, and our and our votes presently are going to get our electoral votes assigned to the Republican candidate. However, if the Democrat candidate wins the national popular votes, under that law, our votes would get assigned to the Democrat candidate. So 17, 17 states have enacted such a law, and they total 205 electoral votes. How about that? Um, And then there are four small states, nine median states, Medium states: Colorado, Connecticut, Maryland, Massachusetts, Minnesota, New New Jersey, et cetera, and three big states. So,
2: what are the three big states? California, yeah,
1: California, Illinois, New York. And honestly, you know, you look at that. I just look at the map every every election cycle and say, well, California at fifty five, and New York at, at twenty nine, and Illinois sitting at nineteen. Just go ahead and put those in the Democrat column before you ever cast the first ballot, and then there are a number of other states as well, which is honestly why it's so dang hard to win for a Republican to win, because these are just deep blue states that are always going to come down for the Democrat. But this is interesting. I I don't see a path right now. It's passed in a total of... yeah, so it's my bad. I gave you the wrong data. The 17 were large, the large states, relatively large, uh, Twenty-four uh, states have, have passed it. Forty-two legislative chambers have passed this. It's been introduced in all 50 states at various times. But, and I don't see a path to that happening anytime soon. And I guess I'd, I, um, if that were to happen, honestly, it's over for the Republican, Unless there's a dramatic change in this country as far as just a number of people not not based on the states that support the various parties the two main parties but the people just as a whole across the country just in general vote Democrat and that's why they win the popular vote over and over and over again so fascinating to watch that unfold and we'll keep tabs on that again it doesn't look like that it's going anywhere, you know, anytime soon. I don't see that. The bigger risk to me is that we lose control of the Senate in-house. and house and then in the Senate the filibuster is ended, and as part of that we end up with a couple of additional states like DC achieves statehood. That would be pretty much curtains that point for the Republicans. That's how close we are. We're stepping aside for a break. It is time for Fox News and Super Talk News. When we return, it's Brian Haydad, the co-host of Sports Talk Mississippi. We are in the Element Wealth Studio. And now,
0: and now, the talk
1: Welcome back, everyone. Hour 2 of Middays is back with you. We are live in the Element Wealth studio. Joining us now, our good friend, the co-host of Sports Talk Mississippi, it's Brian Haydad. I might add the clean-shaven of Brian Haydad. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on there, Brian? Palmer Home got me. <laughs> Palmer
4: Home got me. I said three three hundred grand. i would shave. And, uh, <laughs> I did it during a commercial break. I made
1: it quick. Yeah. Three hundred and sixty six uh seven thousand dollars, pardon me, is the uh That was outstanding. Yeah, wasn't it though? Wasn't that a lot of fun? Love
4: to see it. Especially the the last uh three minutes where we got we we basically put together a two minute draw and I, I made a a reference that would warm your heart. I said, if we gave Lane Kiffin three minutes and forty seconds, he could score two <laughs> touchdowns. We can we can get this money in three minutes and forty seconds, and we did.
1: <laughs> we certainly did. You guys did a fantastic job and and Rhino and I had the pleasure, I think you may have been around as well, that that uh, still the vision, honestly, Brian, that stays with me, is those kids coming in and forming into line for lunch and the workers there at yeah. the Palmer Home and see, seeing their faces light up and and, uh, and just them hopping around, being children, being happy, feeling good about their circumstances. That's what it's all about. And uh, yeah. so it's, it's uh, really cool to be part of that. We're so proud of the work that... That the entire team, at super talk did to raise money Absolutely. for a great cause. So, all right, it's uh, rocking and rolling there. I can hear all the uh, the ambient noise in the background. You're in the thick of it, my friend. Tell us yeah. what's happening up there in Nashville, SEC Media Days.
4: This has been a fun Media Days. The, the 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 vibes have been good. I think that's what the kids say these days. <laughs> uh, everybody's enjoying themselves. Uh, it's Mississippi State's day, obviously. Uh, so we'll be talking in, in real time We're going to be talking To uh, Arnett And the players In about 35-45 minutes uh, They'll make their way Down here to Radio Row But it's It's been It's been a good a good Go so far You know We had LSU yesterday And, and, and Jimbo With Texas A&M He gave us some Talking points uh, About that offense And things they're Going to be doing And then yeah, today, Georgia, the defending national champions, are here, and then Auburn will be here later, and your old friend Hugh Freeze will be yeah. joining us. Yeah, <laughs> I wish we could get him on the show. If we can make that happen, I'll move heaven and earth to do it. But we'll see. We'll see. But, yeah, it's, 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 it's a good it's been a good uh, flow to things so far.
1: Yeah. So tell us about Commissioner Sankey's uh, tribute to uh, Coach Mike Leach. Tell us about that.
4: I was able to run into co- uh, to Commissioner Sankey last night. at the uh, They had a reception. Uh, for the, for all the media members, and I spoke to him and thanked him. I said I thought that was a very good and fitting tribute. Yeah. Uh, so basically he told us that last year they, he had been talking to Mike and had said uh, – Mike had made the comments like, "Why do we wear ties?" You, you know, he was he was he was going off on the uselessness of the necktie, and he said, "You know, there was a time when all men wore powdered wigs and neckties, and somehow the powdered wig didn't survive, but the necktie did." So, in, in tribute to that, Commissioner Sankey went tieless. And, and if you've ever met Greg Sankey, to say that's a, a buttoned-up kind of guy is is an understatement. I've, I've never seen him without it. I think he runs in a tie. So. I, I, to see him like that, I remember seeing him earlier in the day, and I was like, "Why is he not wearing a tie? What is going on here?" And then I find out it's that great tribute. Between that and to have the uh, the police officers on stage from the Covenant School yeah. who were so brave in, in, in their actions and stopping that tragedy, uh, just just a, the, the SEC really hit a home run yesterday
1: with, in the early going with that uh, with those moves. Yeah, very very cool. So what what are we expecting uh, from uh, Zach Arnett?
4: Well, from Zach Arnett, I think that, you know, he has an, a chance, Gerard. Every year there's a coach that kind of wins over the crowd. Yeah. And Ar- Arnett is a sneaky, funny guy. He's a country guy. And I think he's got a chance to come up there and maybe deliver some one-liners and, you know, and, and win the crowd over and get people, you know, excited and, and talking about him. That being said, I think his message is going to be that of – you know, Coach Leach may be gone, but the, the principles and, and the things that he taught are still at going on at Mississippi State, and this is still going to be a hard-nosed football program, a tough football program. Uh, it's certainly not going to change under under Zach Arnett's watch, and uh, that they're going to continue to, to build upon the success they had last year that Coach Leach set them up for, yeah. and, and then, you know, to look into this season and have another successful season.
1: What are you hearing about the players' embracing of uh, Coach Arnett?
4: Oh, they love him, you know, especially the defensive guys. Yeah, you know, that, that's their guy. But, you know, I think that the the changes that State has made offensively are going to give State a chance to be successful. Right. Uh, I think they that State State is going to be able to run the football this year. They were able to run it at times last year when they wanted to. Um, this year, I think this offense is going to be good. It'll be more balanced. And uh, with Will Rogers there, you know, having such a veteran guy behind center, it, it makes a big difference. I think that he helps ease the transition. If you were you were going with a new quarterback, it might be a tough go, I think. Yeah. But with a guy who's seen it all and done it all, I think it helps you a lot.
1: Make, makes total sense. Is, uh, is there any buzz going around about this NIL stuff?
4: Well, yeah, and Sankey talked about that in great detail uh, yesterday. and You know, and he he's doing this thing, Gerard. And, and I don't know if you're really political, Gerard. But he's uh, he's, 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 he's you know they're they basically they they want to have Congress step in and 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 take over and. and, and and first off, I mean, was it President Reagan who said the scariest thing you can hear is I'm from the government and I'm here to help? Yeah. I mean, that's I don't ever want to hear that. <laughs> you know, the, co- Congress can't do anything right, and we're going to ask them to fix this. This is something that the NCAA deserves a ton of blame for this. They kicked the can down the road. They didn't want to address the issue until we got to the point where they had no choice We reached a tipping point. And, and now here we are. And, you know, for me... Maybe maybe and Richard likes to get on me all the time and talk about how <laughs> liberal I am. I'm a capitalist. If if the market says that these players are going to get this money, give it to them. What do I care? Yeah. But you know, I understand that it's also not really viable to have to consistently re-recruit your roster every year. I think it's more that the the portal has given you this unlimited free agency. And it allows players to basically step out and check out what their market worth is, you know. In the NFL, you have a contract. Once you're under contract, that that kind of is what it is. But now a player can, you know, and I think Lane Kiffin talked about this last year. He said, if I was a top player, I'd go in the portal just to see what I could get. Sure. And and if you can get a better deal, take it. Yeah. So I mean, that's going to be tough. You you look, you know, Ole Miss. They they, they bring back Quinshon Judkins last year. They he's got a great NIL deal. They're going to have to do it again next year. Because yeah. every play, every team in the country would take Quinchon Junkins. There's not a single team in college football that would say, no, we're good. We don't need mm. a, the best running back possibly in college football. So it's tough. And mm. I agree they have to find some answers. I just don't know that asking the federal government to do that for
1: you is the right path. Yeah. Do you feel like uh, it seems to me that this is the case, that maybe it's frustration on the part of the programs that says, well, the NCAA is really not taking any action on this. We're going to have to go to the government.
4: I think it's it's part of that. The, the 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 institutions are more concerned of the fact that, you know, donations to things like the Bulldog Club and the Loyalty Foundation they're suffering because there's only so much money. Yeah. And we know now it's like you got to get money into NIL because you got to have. It doesn't matter how nice your stadium is. You could have the nicest stadium in the world, but if you want to watch a four and eight team, well then don't donate to NIL. You've got to do that. So. I think that the universities, you know, the state legislatures, they're different in every state, and they're do- allowing different things. We saw yesterday the story broke that the uh, that Tennessee's uh, attorney general was going to step in if, if there had been a bull ban on well, who is this? Who, who's this
1: scallywag? What's, that, Chief? <laughs> What's going on there, Richard? One, one of my top ten favorite rebels, right there. <laughs> but I am atop top the list. Let's just go ahead and establish that again. Number one. Number one. Will okay. East
4: is in the studio too. He's on. He's on. The, he's way up on that list too. I love uh, Will East. So yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what the answer is. It's one of those things where I don't get paid to know the answer. I just get paid to tell you that there needs to be an
1: answer. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I, I just uh, foresee a time where uh, these folks are playing college football. They're getting paid a lot of money, and they're not even enrolled as students at the university they represent. I think that's coming. I don't, I don't think
4: that will happen, Gerard. I don't think it was. I think it, you're, it's much more likely that we're going to have a time where student athletes become employees, okay. and they'll be able to unionize and come up with with a, a collective bargaining idea. But when that happens, you you, you get into the situation of. Uh, you know you can cut guys without remorse yeah right
1: so right we'll see how it goes Gosh. speaking of the commissioner there he goes sure wow so it's it's certainly changed from the days where you signed that letter of intent and you're pretty yeah. much there for three or four years right and you didn't get yeah. any money yeah. except it didn't matter right little tuition and books and potato chips or whatever so <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that was about it so
4: a little, little different game
1: nowadays Man, it's just fascinating to watch all that. You guys uh, have a good time up there, and I'm sure we'll be talking to you soon. There's going to be a lot of information flowing uh, through the halls over the next few days. Appreciate it, Brian. Good to talk to you, man. Let
4: let this song play right through the part about about Vicksburg. Make it happen.
1: There you go. (laughs) Brian Haydad, co-host of Sports Talk Mississippi, and of course... Host of the Thunder and Lightning Podcast. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio.
0: Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Now, now onto the real part. Dynamite. on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays, live from the Element Wealth Studio. We appreciate you so much for joining us today. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to MyElementWealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between Income, Growth, and Guarantees. The C Spire text line, of course, 601-879-4395. The Sports Talk guys, they're going to be up there at Media Day's I believe all week, right, Will?
2: That's right, because Ole Miss is actually going to be on Thursday. Okay. So we'll be there all four days.
1: So one thing you know is college football ain't too far off when uh, media days is going on there.
2: We always say it's the kickoff to the college football, the unofficial kickoff to the college football season because it, it seems like it's very uh, quickly around the corner. you got high school football very quickly around the corner. I believe yeah. Augusts. Off the top of my head, August 14th, 15th, 16th, something like that, is jamboree time, and then we'll have games the week after.
1: Yeah, so, incredible. Here. Incredible. And, of course, uh, next week, we're going to be, middays, we'll be over at the Neshoba County Fair.
2: That's right, Wednesday and Thursday. Wednesday and Thursday,
1: right. Yeah. Yep, we'll be there. We'll be uh, real close to the pavilion there. Founder Square.
2: So people will give the, the candidates will give their speeches yep. and then kind of like in a boxing match after the match is over with, you know, you go interview so is that what's going to happen? They'll do their speech and then they'll come by and have to sit down with you?
1: Typically that's the way it works out. Uh, if, uh, you know, of course we're there from 10 to 1 so uh, based on the, the schedule of the various candidates when they are scheduled to speak and address the crowd there um, under the pavilion If it's hot like it is today, you're going to want to be under some shade, that's for (laughs) sure. I think Scary Gary will have a little fan set up for me, a couple of fans, (laughs) try to at least uh, keep the heat off. But uh, looking forward to that because we are inside. In fact, let's let's do the math. I think we're exactly three weeks away Mm -hmm. from primary election day here in the great state of Mississippi. Uh, Tuesday, August. August the 8th. 8th, is that right? I I believe so. Yeah. So we, um, and the date for registering to vote, yeah, Tuesday, August 8th, that is passed. That is passed. Mm -hmm. So please, folks, go out and exercise your right to vote, to have a voice in the elections here in the great state of Mississippi. It's incredibly important. I wanted to offer just a, a bit of an update, a correction to what I said earlier. It is I was right when I said 17 states have enacted laws that would assign all of their electoral votes to the candidate in a presidential race who wins the popular votes. Seven other states, okay, for a total of 24, have had at least one chamber of their state government pass. Uh, a bill. So 17 states consisting of 205 electoral votes, once we get to, if we should ever get to 270 electoral votes, meaning states um, that would enact the same law assigning all of their EBs to the popular vote winner, then that would become, uh, essentially, that would be the law. And that's how we would elect the president. It would be essentially based on popular vote at that point. Again, I say that that's a long shot. I don't see that happening. Just looking at the states that that would have to pass such laws, just not likely. But the bigger risk, in my view, is we end up with a trifecta in Washington where the Democrats control the House. They control the Senate, as they do today control the Senate, 51-49. And prior to the midterms, it was 50-50 with the vice president casting, if needed, the tie-breaking vote. If it weren't for Joe Manchin and uh, Kirsten Cinema, we would have seen an end to the filibuster. And Manchin made it clear early on, Thomas and Greenwood said something earlier about Hear us say here on the network praising Joe Manchin. It is true. I praised him for breaking with the Democrats and not supporting ending the filibuster because that would have meant just a whole host of other bad legislation would have passed.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, starting with adding a state or two. Oh, they and were, were going to do it. They were going to do it. And of course, the other big one was the federalizing of of elections. That was H.R. 1, the top priority to Democrats was to really just um, change the entire voting process in, in the country and not allow the states to have the level of control they presently do over the voting procedures and, and regulations in the states. But they were looking to upend that whole deal and that had been i think detrimental as well and he also made it clear early on he would not support Joe Biden's dream budget if you will that that included just a wide range of crazy tax increases and massive amount of spending what we got was the watered down version known as the inflation reduction act that Manchin supported because you remember there was a bit of a quid pro quo in there he was going to get some permits for some gas pipelines in his home state of West Virginia, and then they kind of reneged on him, and he got mad about it. Uh, But nonetheless, that passed without any Republican support, even though it's called the Inflation Reduction Act. It really had nothing to do with reducing inflation. It uh, mainly consisted of just a, a wide array of tax credits for various uh, green investments, consumer and commercial sort of tax credits, and it had a couple of of, uh, tax increases, if you will, a minimum tax on corporations and a tax on stock buybacks. That's something the Democrats just absolutely are always giddy about. Yeah, we got to tax them stock buybacks. They love that one, Chuck Schumer, especially in the U.S. Senate. So that's scary, honestly. It's uh, disturbing to think that we could end up with that situation, and we, <laughs> we just dodged a bullet in the um, first two years under Joe Biden because uh, Manchin stood in the way, Kirsten Cinema. So I just saw some video here in the studio, Will, showing him on the stage at that No Labels event in New Hampshire. Manchin? In New Hampshire, yeah. And he was joined by was Gary Johnson, See the libertarian guy that yeah. ran for yeah. president, right? Remember him? Yeah. So, just saw uh, the two of them together on the stage, and Mansion that the the, uh, uh, the the banner underneath the video showing him. I just happened to catch in the studio. Quote Mansion says, "If I run, I will win." That's interesting. Be kind of hard to win, you would think, as an independent running under the no-labels party. I don't know about that.
2: I mean, a lot of it comes down to funding.
1: Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Um, Always does.
2: He's not wealthy enough to where he could self-fund, so he would have to get some big number people behind him. And a lot of those folks are already probably committed to others at this point. Yeah. 'Cause it is I'm gonna say late in the game, but um you do reach that point where, you know, such and such has got, you know, a whole lot of money and they've already committed it to a candidate.
1: Yeah. I I don't see him raising a bunch of money, honestly. I mean he's got some personal wealth, but it's not enough to finance a, I just looked you know, it up, it's
2: about ten million. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean so
2: in the grand scheme of things That ain't enough. And and you know money's not the answer. I mean, b- otherwise Bloomberg would have won last time around. But yeah. uh, that's not the answer. But you know, if he could get somebody like a Bloomberg, who you know has been a Republican in the past, now a Democrat, maybe to to back him financially. Yeah. Uh, maybe he could. Make an impact.
1: I just don't see it, honestly. But he's making some noise, and it will certainly make things uh, interesting for us to uh, to follow.
2: Ross Perot analyze in ninety two was such an anomaly. Yeah, because he was very wealthy, one of the richest Americans at that point. People were so dissatisfied with Bush. Clinton was a bit of an unknown. It was just kind of like the perfect
1: storm. I agree. Yeah, and the
2: media landscape was different. Remember, he would go on. He would buy infomercials.
1: That's right. He could. I mean, he had the money to do that, and he certainly did. When we come back, uh, well, I got to talk about this ad in Ohio. This is um, it's really a creepy ad that features a Republican congressman. It's an actor featuring a, a playing, I should say, the role of a GOP congressman. You won't believe the setting of this ad. When we come back on middays from the Element Well Studio,
0: bring it on! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: and the Doobie Brothers bumping us into this segment here of Middays. What about the Wildlife Foundation raffle, Will?
2: That's right. It's got some really great prizes, if you haven't heard. Uh, They are raffling off. So the Mississippi Wildlife Foundation Conservation Raffle is going on now. Get your tickets for some incredible prizes. You also, while you're doing this, you're supporting wildlife conservation and outdoor recreation here in Mississippi. The raffle website is mwfp.foundation.raffle.com. You can also Google MWFP Foundation Raffle if you want to. Tickets are just $20. They can be purchased only online. The ticket sales end on July 30th. The drawing is on August 14th. You do not have to be present to win. So what do your $20 get you? Uh, In this raffle, you will be entered to win a $50,000 Ford vehicle voucher. They have a hunting trip to Argentina, and they have a, another hunting trip, I believe, to Colorado. If I'm not mistaken, hmm. they've got a lot of hunting trips on there, and then they have a sportsman's package, which you know, a rifle and um, uh, some uh, a scope and some other accessories for all you hunting enthusiasts out there. But I think the the Ford fifty thousand dollar vehicle voucher is the big thing on there. So twenty dollars. Uh, get you entered to win, and again, that money goes to support wildlife conservation and outdoor recreation. MWFp Foundation dot com, or just Google MWFp Foundation Raffle.
1: Pretty cool. So uh, we know that when we had Dr. Brian on, we we had some audio quality issues, and we certainly apologize for that, nothing we could do about that. We wanted to get her on to discuss this important topic. She happened to be out of town. We did the best we could. But, Will, I'm going to attempt to to recap kind of what she said, if you'd help me out. I know you were listening Mm -hmm. as well with respect to this new policy that went into effect uh, from the Department of Health based on uh, a judge's decision in April that uh, in Mississippi parents can seek religious exemptions for vaccinating their kids as a condition of attending public school in Mississippi. She said it was a sad day. She was disappointed, and she said that we have a, a very high rate of uh of just avoiding, or I should say, a low occurrence of disease, childhood illness that is presented by these vaccinations that we, I think, have the lowest in the country, as a matter of fact.
2: Mississippi went from highing, having a, an incredibly high number of these cases many yeah. years ago, and then they enacted the school requirement. So to yeah. get into school, you had to have these vaccinations, and it went from um, a very high number to a very low number of these
1: and her concern is that we were we were going to lose that distinction and that we would see an increase of uh, these various illnesses as a result of those seeking and receiving an exemption and therefore not being immunized against them and she she said that she just has that that concern and Uh, I guess I didn't realize that we've had this medical exemption in place for some time. I thought that was new as well, but apparently that wasn't part Mm. of the decision here. It specifically dealt with religious exemption. There's a process for that. Do have to be approved by the state epidemiologist, and I think she used the word sincere. You know, if this is a sincere objection as a result of your religion, then uh, in all likelihood, you would be granted yeah. the exemption. But she she was just concerned about how we may see a a, uh, a tick up of uh, cases of these diseases that these vaccinations that have been around for a long time, many of which uh, protect against. Um, we also uh, asked her about the state of the healthcare industry in the state of Mississippi and. And really, just she summarized by saying that it's still a problem, of course, that we're seeing hospital closures, we're seeing hospitals lay people off. And she did, however, say that she was encouraged about what appears to be a rise in the number of physician-owned health care facilities that are starting to uh, pop up along the landscape of Mississippi. She thought that was good. I shared a couple of days ago that private equity has been heavily involved in acquiring health care, mainly these ambulatory uh, care, surgical care operations that are quite lucrative. They are profitable. Hospitals have seen a lot of that business transition over to these uh, these outpatient-type clinics where you can do same-day surgery. Lots of different surgical procedures can be performed without requiring an overnight stay, which is where you would typically go to the hospital. But they also did same-day procedures, and they're seeing more of those move and transition over to these these sort of dedicated facilities for that purpose that have surgical centers. Um, GI is one that comes to mind. Orthopedic surgery, another that comes to mind. You're seeing lots of those uh, around. We certainly have an abundance of them here in central Mississippi, for sure. Um, In the meantime, we got Brandon Presley. You know who he is. He's a candidate for governor as a Democrat. And it seems like the central theme of his campaign is health care. I'm on his mailing list. I'm on it for purposes of keeping up with what he has to say, and I follow him on social media as well. And that seems to be his, his number one topic that he hits on. And he really goes after the governor on uh, what he would say, in, in, and I'm reading his latest press release from yesterday, Tate Reeves' health care crisis. He, he he says the crisis in our state vis-a-vis health care is a direct result of the governor's failure to act. I would say, well, what exactly do you want the governor to do? And the only thing that comes out of that, he's offered four recommendations or four things that he would push for should he be elected, and the in the top two there are um, expanding Medicaid and appointing someone as the executive director of the division of Medicaid that is a healthcare professional and has such a background, as opposed to the present executive director, that being Drew Snyder, who does not have a healthcare background. But I submit, well, running. Medicaid, you're running essentially an insurance organization. It's an insurance organization that is very tightly, highly governed by federal law, to some extent state law as well, so you're really discharging and implementing lots of law. You're not dispensing health care. That's third-party providers that participate in the Medicaid program who are reimbursed by Medicaid when they deliver services. To patients that are enrolled in Medicaid, so they they do have—I can't remember the exact title—but there is a like a health officer or something like that that is on staff that, of course, guides when you need expertise pertaining to clinical services and just the clinical aspect of Medicaid. So I, I disagree with Mister Presley that one has to be a healthcare professional to to run Medicaid, and in fact. Just for the heck of it, Will, I went and looked up the backgrounds of the CEOs of the top five health insurers in the country, who, by the way, cover uh, some 85% of Americans with private coverage. Well, not a single one of those is a, quote, health care professional. They all come from business backgrounds, because they're running a business. Now, obviously, at an insurer... At a large national insurer. They got armies of clinical people that advise, that consult, that provide input into the decision-making process. And I started thinking on a much smaller scale about my own personal professional background. I ran an IT company. Complex technology and IT. Well, my background is is accounting and economics, but I did go into the IT world straight out of college, but I didn't keep up with all that. It's impossible. Honestly, you get to a point in your career when you're progressing through management, you either gotta you either gotta stay the technical route or you gotta go the business route. You can't do both. It's impossible. Now there may be some people think they're superhumans and they can, you can't, is my my belief. But did I seek advice and counsel? From the really smart, technical people that I had on staff? Absolutely, all the time, in making business decisions. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty common model. It it, it can't be done by one person. And so I disagree with Mr. Presley that you need to be like a doctor to run Medicaid. Somehow that's magically going to improve Medicaid. Medicaid is a big series of debits and credits, is what it is.
2: Well, I'm, I'm looking right now, because I was curious about other states. California, their director of Medicaid.
1: His what background?
2: Uh, Masters of Public Policy and Administration. Go. Of course. New York, social
1: worker. There you go. Those are the largest Medicaid programs in the country. So I, I disagree with Mr. Presley on that. I mean, there's lots of things that can be done to improve Medicaid, and I can assure you, I've talked to Drew Snyder, he knows that. But it's also a cost-benefit sort of situation. It can cost a lot of money sometimes in terms of people and systems, etc., just to clean up some of the most pressing issues that a large, complex agency like that has. He knows that he's working on it. The governor knows that as well. So I disagree with Mr. Presley on that regard. The Doobie Brothers again bumping us out. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studios. Stay with us.
0: means. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. We'll do it live! On Super Talk Mississippi. Billy Ray was a preacher's son And when his daddy would visit he'd come along When they gather round and started talking
1: Ah yes, the great Dusty Springfield. One, I have found one person, yeah,
2: who is a <laughs> statewide Medi- Medicaid director who has a medical background, yeah, and that's in healthcare administration, not a doctor.
1: Yeah, that's that's not surprising. I, I, I'm not sure what his angle is there, other than it's just kind of convenient for him to just take a shot at the governor. You, you appointed this guy who's not a health professional to run this essentially health insurance organization, because Medicaid is health insurance. It's not in the business of delivering health care. Now I understand if you're insuring health care, you need some understanding of the clinical aspect of the business, that's what you have subject matter experts. Uh, I personally would rather have someone, and by the way, Drew's a lawyer, I'd rather have someone that can read and interpret statute, regulations, understands business, and the application in practice of those statutes and regulations. That's someone who's in the business of curing disease. That's no disrespect to them. It's just a different endeavor. It's a different discipline. It doesn't align. Now, would I want Drew? No disrespect to Drew. Would I want him taking care of sick people? No. You wouldn't want him on the operating table. No. Team. Okay. So what? That's what makes the world go round. But it's I think I think it's misguided to think you need a healthcare professional yeah. running. That organization, I, I just do. Also, I wanted to pass on our friend Price Wallace, Representative Price Wallace, says you can still register to vote, you just can't vote in the primary on the 8th. I said a minute ago the, de- the deadline had passed. That is true, and I just want to clarify, I appreciate that for Price. True that you, you um, the deadline has passed for you to register to vote in the primary. You could still vote in, of course, the general, And you could vote in runoffs after the primary, which would be held uh, a few weeks after the primary if you registered now. So thank you for clarifying that, uh, Price. Also, Mark Formby says, 44 states with healthier children. This is uh, his commentary about the religious exemption for childhood vaccinations. 44 states with healthier children have in all caps, both medical and religious exemptions, and their kids are not experiencing all the issues that our health department predicts. Also, we've had medical exemptions. That's what um, Dr. Bryan said. It, it, it's been part of our law for some time, but no one will actually give them. I, I understand, Mark, um, but I don't feel like I'm qualified to, to question the decisions made by the state epidemiologist. I, You know, I Maybe that's something the legislature should investigate to see if they're truly applying the law appropriately there. I would also think, honestly, Will, that there would be few and far between cases of children who, for some medical reason, uh, should not would not be in their best interest to receive these vaccinations, because it might conflict with their their pre-existing health conditions. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but that that would seem to be a really small percentage of the uh, childhood population, in my view. Now, if they're just hell-bent on never granting those, even if a child has a case, and then that would warrant an exemption, then I guess my follow up question would be well, how many of these cases that have been denied where the child has received the vaccination has caused them health problems? It seems like that opened up the Department of Health and the state to some pretty serious lawsuits. No, nope, you've got to take that vaccination, even though it's going to conflict and maybe cause even bigger problems with your child's health. That, that seems a little, seems like we hear about that. I yep. guess is what I'm saying. But so my question to Mr. Formby is, okay, well, what if no children receive the vaccination? I mean, maybe the fact is these exemptions exist, but it's just a small percentage of of uh, children and their their parents, of course, their guardian, their caretaker, who would but make that decision of opting out of pursuing the exemption. Maybe that's why it's. Not really causing a big problem. I think we'd hear more about that. But all interesting stuff. So I got to get back to this ad. Well, this is running in Ohio. Democrat activist in Ohio. They've launched this really creepy. I watched it last night on YouTube. Attack ad, and it portrays a Republican congressman watching a couple having sex. He barges into bed. It starts out you you think it's like a porn movie or something i mean it's not total exposure of the body but it's pretty clear that they're engaged in sexual activity in the bedroom a couple all right and then this sort of old looking dressed in a suit looks like with a tie looks like a congressman barges in the bedroom and basically says you know we're in charge we're banning birth control and you can't do that and they like roll over and they're having a conversation. It's weird. It's creepy. But that's what the way the Democrats are portraying Republicans. I suspect this will be a, an effective ad. I've never seen Stooping Quite That Low. Once again, the great Dusty Springfield bump on his house. Son of a preacher, man, it's time for Fox News Super Talk News. The afternoon portion of Middays is up next. Welcome back, everyone. It's the afternoon portion of midday's hour three from the Element Wealth Studio. We appreciate you uh, joining us. So I bet there's something a lot of folks didn't know existed. I certainly did until I came across it. And the way I came across this was because there's a, the the national security. Bill, the bill that funds our military, the National Defense Authorization Act, NDAA. The Republicans in the House have passed the bill, headed for the Senate. It's not going to make it. And it's because there were some amendments added to it by House Republicans that centered around what National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said are, quote, domestic social debate, end quote, issues. And all this really does is it blocks the Defense Department from using taxpayer money for certain kinds of health care for members of the service, namely abortions and gender-affirming care. So, I want you guys to think about this. If you're in the military, and let's say you're typically a a young person, you hadn't been there that long, in your 20s maybe, it could be your teens, and you learn, tragically, that a parent, a loved one, has passed away. You'd have to use your leave and fund your travel to go deal with that situation, be with your family. However, you're pregnant and you want to terminate the pregnancy, we're paying for that, baby. You need to travel to a state that allows it. You're stationed in a state that doesn't. Oh, we're paying for that. Is that not just upside down to you? Does anybody else think that just seems just crazy? That's absolutely. That's crazy. But that's where we are. You've got to pay for abortions, taxpayer. You've got to pay for transgender care. For members of the military. Gender-affirming care, as they call it. So, as as part of that, just reading up on the bill and the amendments, well, I come across a document I never knew existed. I dare say most in our audience have not. I'm looking at it right now. And it's got, on the first page, the United States Department of Defense emblem. You know, the circle, Department of Defense, with the, the very familiar eagle and the shield and the stars and so forth, United States of America. And then right below that, Transgender service in the U.S. military. An implementation handbook. It's 72 pages. I'm looking at it. 72 pages. It's a handbook. Now, this has been around since 2016. I had no idea. You think most people know this exists? Nope. No idea. Twenty. 16 and this was by the way this was implemented of course before Trump took office he took office in January of 17 transgender service in the military it's incredible and just looking through some of the um Some of the topics, you know, I'm looking at at the outline. And there was one in particular that I'm trying to find. I read last night, and now I can't find it. I apologize for that. But, But it basically has to do with how to address, follow me here, an officer who is a biological female, identifies as a male, and is pregnant. That's in the book. I'm not kidding. So somebody had to sit down and write these out. Yeah, I'm not kidding. I'm I'm totally serious here. It's just bizarre. It's it's crazy, and um, <laughs> I'm looking at. Uh, I'm trying to find it, but they. Uh, let's see if I can find it. they. The they, they like have a. A situation where they use names, right? The description uses names in the scenario. And uh, let's see if I can find it. It's like Lieutenant Marty. That's it, Lieutenant Marty. (laughs) I can't help but laugh. An introduction: Sex and gender are different. Sex is whether a person is male or female through their biology. Gender is the socially defined roles and characteristics of being male and female associated with that sex. And this is in U.S. Department of Defense document. Gender dysphoria is a medical diagnosis that refers to distress that some transgender individuals experience due to a mismatch between their gender and their sex assigned at birth. It's incredible. So, I'm confused because, and by the way, they've got a Terms and Definitions section. One of the terms, cross-sex hormone therapy, gender marker, human and functional network support, real-life experience, RLE. But I thought the purpose of the military was to defeat the enemy and win wars. More importantly, it's to prevent those wars from ever starting. You hope your military is so strong that you deter war. That's the that's really the goal. But if you got to fight one, you got to win. You gotta be lethal. I thought that was the whole purpose. Be prepared. Right. So not anymore, you see, because we gotta talk about gender affirmation surgery. And the like, and I saw an interview with Jen Suckey where she says, "You know, these Republicans are overblowing this this focus in the military on uh, gender ideology and CRT and and the like." There's only an hour of that, huh? No, 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 no. It is absolutely embedded in all the training, at all the service academies. There's so much that's been exposed and written and documented about that. And she just refuses to accept it. They just dismiss it. No, this really isn't happening. And so the Republicans in the House, all they simply wanted to do was just ban taxpayer money from funding... Which seems to me to be in violation of the Hyde Amendment, which does not allow taxpayer money to fund abortions. But in the military, we are, at least the travel portion of it. Yeah. And the same for gender affirming care. That's all they wanted, was to strip that out. And the Democrats say, oh, no, that's critical to building a lethal fighting force. We got to be able to abort babies in transitioned genders while they're in the military. It's just incredible. Well, Judicial Watch, by the way, did expose a good bit of what's going on in the Air Force Academy with respect to presentations on critical race theory, all these white privilege, Black Lives Matter seminar, uh, the creation myth of the Declaration of Independence. That's what they're teaching to our military. Oh, that Declaration of Independence, don't worry about that. That's just, that was just based on a myth. This is, this is in Air Force instructional materials that have been obtained by Judicial Watch. By the way, this was just published on the 13th, just four days ago. That's what's going on in this country. This is horrendous. This is despicable. I like this one, though. Well... <laughs> A civil rights complaint has been filed against New York University because it's holding whites only anti racism workshops. <laughs> so like inception. Exactly. You don't allow anybody but white people to attend this seminar on anti racism because only white people can be racist. Of course, is the implication.
2: I've got some audio for you. This is Colonel Mark Wooten of the United States Air Force Civil Air Patrol, who says the only guidance he puts out there is to, quote, stop hiring middle aged white people, especially dudes. (laughs) I got the audio of it.
1: Well, we'll wait till after the break. We got to play that one. We're in the Element Well Studios. Stay with us.
0: with Gerard Gibbett. Come on, let's get on with the show. On Super Talk Mississippi.
1: Would be the great Christine McVie, who passed away just last year, yep. right? I believe so. Voice of an angel. All right, so Price Wallace, Representative Wallace, says, Let me correct myself. To vote in the primary runoff, in the runoff, you have to register at least 30 days before the runoff date. So when are the runoffs, though, uh, Price? Does anybody, does anybody know? It's usually like two, three weeks after the primary, yeah. right? It's, it's little time between primary runoff. We need to look that up. Maybe somebody from Secretary of State's office can help us out, or somebody else knows. I had, I don't have it right in front of me, but I think it would be in, in the month of August, like later on in the month of August. Yeah,
2: I would think so. All right, you want to hear this audio? This yeah, let's listen Colonel to Colonel Mark Wooten of the <laughs> United States Air Force Civil Air Patrol. This is what he had to say. And, uh, you know, uh, the, only, the only
1: really guidance I've put out there for him to consider is stop hiring middle-aged white people, especially dudes that are pilots, because honestly, we all think alike too much. And if we're going to be preaching diversity and being inclusive, then for crying out loud, let's back it up with, uh, you know,
3: let's make the rhetoric meet the reality.
1: Oh my gosh. Wow. How about that? It's just it's mind-boggling to me that we're so immersed in this in our society. I mean it and I bring it up because every day there's there's new news on it. There's something crazy happening. Yeah. With respect to this gender ideology stuff. It's it's incredible and I I wouldn't have known that the Department of Defense has a 72 page document, a transgender implementation handbook. I did find The section that talks about the male, uh, pardon me, the biological female who identifies as a male, but is pregnant. And this is in the section where the document has several scenarios. in the the handbook instructs on how to handle these various scenarios. So this one is scenario three, Pregnancy. Lieutenant Marty changed his gender marker in the service personnel data system from female to male after completing an approved transition plan. Lieutenant Marty has not had sex reassignment surgery as part of the transition plan and is working with his MMP, I don't know what that is, on, on a plan to start a family. Lieutenant Marty approached his commanding officer a few weeks ago and mentioned he was pregnant. That's in the official Department of Defense handbook. And so, key takeaways. This scenario, they're so serious. This scenario illustrates the importance of ongoing communication among service member, commander, and the MMP with regard to individual medical readiness. That's IMR, by the way. They have in parentheses. It also emphasizes the importance of understanding special medical care that may be required and administrative benefits resulting from pregnancy. And then there's just a whole series of bullet points. Responsibilities of the commander, responsibilities of the service member, all to deal with the scenario of a woman who's pregnant that says she is now a he. That's what this is yeah, all about.
2: I, I could see this happening. Uh, Sarge, I, th- I think the enemy just <laughs> threw a grenade at us. He threw it right
1: at me. Now, how do you know it was a he? <laughs> it's just crazy. So Mo says, okay, Gerard, I'll bite. What do you call a female who identifies as a male who is pregnant? I, I think the answer is... <laughs> The official answer is whatever they want you to call them. <laughs> Remember I shared a couple of weeks ago, I, you, you may not have been around hearing us on that, but um, I talked about Johns Hopkins, who has published an LGBTQ pronoun guide. Johns Hopkins. Now, that on itse- into itself is kind of crazy. This is what really struck me, though, is that now... This prestigious medical school allows physicians both at the school and just at the hospital itself to select whatever name they want to be printed on their official badge which must be exposed while they're working in the what hospital a, whatever name they whatever want whatever name they want okay
2: so, so not their their real correct. name that would be on the driver's license correct or employee
1: information. Okay. And their pronouns, of course. Now, that one didn't bother me as much as they took it a step further. Patients can select the name they want on their little bracelet. Okay. That seems like just a, a big old problem waiting to happen. Because, you know, everywhere you get, if you ever had one of those on, folks, even if it's for an outpatient procedure, you know that at every step you take before a medical professional does anything, they're checking that badge. Now they have it where they can scan it. You know, yeah. they, they enter the procedure, the order, they scan it to make sure that matches up, and then they ask you, are you this person? Is this your birthday? I mean, there's all kinds of of protocol involved in just making sure this is the person I think it is that I'm supposed to be delivering these services to, treating. Well, imagine how complicated that gets when the patient says, Nah, I want this. (laughs) Here's my driver's license, my ID, whatever. This is what it's got on. I don't want you to use that. This is insane.
2: Well, it might be a uh, an opportunity for advancement for some young nurse or something. You know, they might could they could name themselves head physician, you know, of John Hopkins University. Will east right there on the on the name tag. <laughs> I mean, shouldn't the concern be for the care,
1: not for the no, not anymore.
2: Name tag.
1: Not anymore. Uh, this is true story though. There's also in this book by the way, this transgender book their scenario one deals with readiness, inability to meet standards during transition. And I'll just read you the first statement because you could go on forever. It's 72 pages of this crap. Official military documentation. A senior officer, Tony, is transitioning to become Tanya. <laughs> That's the first thing in it. Oh my gosh. And I'm not trying to make light of it. I don't know how else to react. I'm worried that this is what's consuming our military cycles. Now, Jen Psaki says, oh, it's only an hour. That's just horse hockey. It's more than that. Just digging into this document would take hours. Yeah. So you can imagine if something comes up and truly a member of the service goes to their commanding officer and says, you know, I think I'm, I'm uh, not what I am uh, outwardly here from a, a sex perspective. And they got to go dig into this 72-page document to figure out how to handle that.
2: Yeah. Meanwhile, China's hacking the, the, That's the point. You know, Secretary of Commerce. And...
1: Oh, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we talked about that yesterday. They <laughs> have access to all the emails. that. Uh, oh, did you I've... see the other one? Uh-uh. So I guess the State Department sent a whole trove of
2: emails to a a country in Africa. I, I can't remember which one, because they got the wrong... Um, <laughs> The run, instead of dot M I L, they put <laughs> dot M L or something like that. So they sent all these emails to the wrong people.
1: Oh, we're just upside down on this all this sort of stuff. Price Wallace, by the way, wrote off wrote back a pardon me and says the runoff is August twenty ninth. August twenty ninth. So that makes sense. So the primary August day. Runoff uh is August twenty ninth. Of course, that's provided there are runoffs for certain elections. And I'm not sure. On a statewide basis, I'm not sure we'll see any, honestly. Here
2: here it is. Millions of emails written by military staff at the Pentagon have been mistakenly sent to the West African government of Mali. I'm guessing I'm pronouncing that correct. A Russian ally because of a basic typing error. The difference (laughs) involves just one letter, .mil versus
1: .ml. Oh, my gosh. What a mess, man. We call them she-helms. Because we do not know what else to call them, so confused on the Spire text line. If I decided to identify as a woman, can I skip getting prostate exams, says Thomas and Greenwood. That, of course, not a lot of fun. I will say, though, I'll pass this on. It was pretty valuable to me because it was a prostate exam and the PSA test in particular that discovered I had prostate cancer back in 2017. Thank God, good news, caught early, had my prostate removed. So I don't have to have those exams anymore, Thomas. I ain't got a prostate um, because it had a little tumor on it. And so that's uh, certainly no fun. I hear what you're saying. But good news there, I'm all good to go. I've had numerous PSA tests since then, all good, no spread, all good. Good Lord bless me in that respect. It's uh, very common. Among men, in fact, most doctors say once you hit about seventy-five or so, virtually every male prostate's cancerous. Is, is just very slow, so it's not a lot of risk. We're coming right back. Half an hour left on middays. We interrupt this
0: program, Gerard Gilbert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard Super Talk, Mississippi
2: of love
0: is in your eyes a look your smile can't disguise the look of love it saying so much more
1: once again, that's the great Dusty Springfield, The Look of Love, a Burt Bacharach composition. A lot of different artists recorded it. Dusty Springfield, that's from 1967, Yeah, by the way. Her voice, I think, perfect for the lyrics there, for the tune. There's also a really great, um, I honestly can't tell if it's a harmonica or a saxophone, sort of solo, that's mm-hmm. part of that song. And, um, but it's maybe a flute, now that I think about it. Some sort of wind device, wind instrument, it's really, really good there. But I ask Will to play that, appreciate that, Will. CC in Sanitobia says, this insanity talking about uh, the military isn't just making our military weaker it's making our enemies bolder and bolder we're headed toward war on our own turf if this idiocy doesn't stop I, I share your concerns CC and I and I agree Will said it a minute ago meanwhile that uh, China is just building up their war machine and recent reports show that they're starting to overtake us in many of those categories uh, in who knows what The next war would consist of, you know, is it a war of bombs and traditional military assets or is it digital warfare? I I have concerns about that. We all should. And, you know, looking more and more based on mounting evidence that COVID was something created by the Chinese in a lab. In order to wield havoc on the globe, honestly, and that, I think they see that as a way to, I mean, it did, and <laughs> it severely uh, affected the entire planet, not just economically, but massive loss of life, and maybe they thought they could do that and really cripple their most ardent foe, who's us. How could anybody not think that's plausible, given the way their philosophy, you know, and the way they think, and yeah. their their goal to to be the dominant power and to honestly force us all into submission to their
2: and their, to dom- dominate their own people. I mean, social yeah,
1: credits. Yeah, exactly.
2: How they want to run their country.
1: Exactly. And now there's reports about how they were persecuting and and even incarcerating people who who dared to to uh, exit their, their place of residence. You remember they had tape up on the threshold and the doors, and if it looked like the tape had been torn, you're whisked off to jail. Who knows? They, as far as I know, they could have executed them. It's not outside of the realm of possibility in that country. Yet we have people in this country that denounce it as being so inhumane and oppressive but we, like, pander and appease to China. Our president does. Yeah. So, yeah, all, all that's of concern. I totally agree. Why is this even an issue, says Neil in Greenwood, within our service academies? These men and women are training to be the future leaders of our military. This is a direct result of weakened qualification requirements to attend those academies. We need men and women with a backbone, not a confused gender coming from someone who was accepted to West Point but medically disqualified just before I was due to report. I'm sorry to hear that, Neil, and I appreciate uh, you sending that to us. I-, I agree. I share your concern. And, Will, I played the audio from during Pride Month. It just seems like, man, our military, especially our Air Force, every day there was some just huge event for that, including uh, a short speech by the... Um, I believe it was a general, could be an admiral. I can't remember. That um, is the, the top brass uh, of the new space force, and and basically talked about that, made a statement that diversity and in specifically embracing LGBTQ people into the military is critical for wartime readiness. And I scratched my head, thinking, well, does that mean you know until we had all these accommodations that our military's ill-prepared to fight a war? That's kind of scary. That we got to have people that identify as LGBTQ+, in order to be ready to fight a war? That just doesn't add up to me. Now, allowing them to serve in the military, that's a different issue, but going so far as to say that's essential to being ready to fight a war, seemed like a stretch. Sam from Mount Hermon Gerard, years ago, I was in the Civil Air Patrol, and most pilots were old men, in quotes. How many trans do you think own airplanes? Not many. And what do you think would happen to the Civil Air Patrol after the old men pilots quit? I, I have your concerns as well, Sam. I'm an old pilot as well. I have, I have those, those thoughts and worried about that kind of stuff. Kelso in Ocean Springs wants to know that this transgender handbook was implemented in 2016, and existed throughout the Trump presidency. Yeah, I I think uh, that's absolutely true, and I I found that as well because I'm looking at the the date stamp on the Under Secretary of Defense's cover letter which is the first document, the first page, I should say, inside the document, and that was stamped September 30th, 2016. So that was just two months before, a month and a half, before the election in 2016 where Donald Trump was elected. I I mean, maybe I'm overreacting here, but I I just had no idea, and I'm a little stunned that we have a 72-page document dealing with this subject i've never heard anyone from from our delegation you know discuss this and talk about this now i, I do know that that the the bill that passed the house that would ban uh, funding of abortion i miss how this all this topic got started in transgender or gender affirming care in the military in the in the defense authorization act that did, in fact, pass the House, but it's dead on arrival in the Senate. The Senate won't go for that. I mean, they believe, no, we've got to pay for abortions and gender-affirming care. It's just crazy for our military. Well, uh, Let's see, something else here. I went to the doctor. This is on the ceasefire tax line. I was asked to fill out an information form and was handed a clipboard. The question about pronouns was on the form. I did not fill it out, out that portion, I should say, and handed the form back. A few minutes later, I was called to the desk. I thought it was my time to go back to the doctor, but no, I was asked to fill out my pronouns before I could be seen. And I think that's because, honestly, that may not indicate that this physician, this clinic, this organization... Uh, really thinks that's important as much as it is. It's just protecting against lawsuits because nowadays you refer to somebody, you misgender somebody. Hell, they string you up. They want to hang you in the public square.
2: They are increasingly pushing for um, criminal charges for misgendering someone. It's incredible. Ireland, uh, you know, it was which you think of conservative, they're actually pretty liberal. They are. They're going to pass it. I, they might be the first country to actually pass laws where it is a criminal act to misgender somebody. If you identify as a they and I call you a he, Gerard. Yeah. I I, I get a fine, maybe even jail time.
1: Yep. Well, you know, in in Michigan, we discussed this on the show. This this came up uh, the end of June. The Michigan House of Representatives. Pass legislation that could make using the wrong pronouns a felony. A felony. What happened to free speech? Well, I think that
2: would probably be, if it did get codified, I would imagine that would be challenged
1: at some point. You would think. But the fact that that's even being debated in a state House of Representatives is just nutty to me that that's even happening happening. Uh, On the c tax text line, a boy I coached in high school joined the Army and just got home after basic training. He said it's pitiful, and he wishes he would have never gone. Full of trans and whatever else they call them. But yet, you see, the problem is you got the Jen Sakeys of the world, who have national television programs. Now, we uh, honestly probably have a larger audience than she does, even (laughs) though she's nationwide. But the fact is, she was a White House press secretary. I mean, she's a a pretty high-profile individual in the Democrat Party—they want you to believe this just isn't happening. No, this is just this is just all all fabricated nonsense by the radical MAGA right. I mean, that's what they want you to think. The same with the banning of books. Republicans want to ban books. Well, I just want to ask these people a question: Is there nothing that's inappropriate for a first grader? Is there just no content that might just rise to the level of they really shouldn't see that sort of stuff in a book, in a library in school? I mean, does it just mean no? Should we just start putting hustlers and playboys in the the elementary school library? That's where we're headed, it seems like. Unbelievable. We're coming back with a final segment on Middays. We're in the Element Well Studios. Stay with us. everyone. It's the final segment of Middays, Super Talk Mississippi. One thing I did want to pass on, Will, that uh, all of our audience should go to our website and sign up for the free weekly newsletter at supertalk.fm slash newsletter. You definitely want to be plugged in because the news team here does a fantastic job of tracking all the stories from across the Magnolia State, and especially with the election season Very upon us. Very hot election yeah. season. They're doing on. a good job of okay. tracking all that. And uh, you're going to see some stories uh, for sure as we approach the primaries coming up on the 8th. By the way, I'm corrected. The text came in as she-helms, and I thought that sounded a little weird. It's she hymns, and apparently that's the term to folks in the military, I believe, used to describe someone who was kind of fluid. So I appreciate that. Um, On the ceasefire text line uh, from the 662, I know we don't all agree, but is being so transphobic really the answer? We can all be who we choose, can't we? And, And the first thing I would say is that the fact that you oppose using taxpayer money, okay, for gender-affirming care, that would categorize you as transphobic. Uh, The fact that you oppose sexually explicit content being available in elementary school libraries or teachers teaching this kind of stuff to really young people, that gets you labeled as fascist and radical. And so, this is another situation where nuance is important. I agree, and I've said it countless times on this program. You're an adult, you want to undergo gender transition surgery and deal with all that, knock yourself out. I'm all for it. Don't really care. A child? Mm -mm. That's where I draw the line. Because I, I just think that you're talking about potentially irreversible treatment, surgery. And young people can be confused. And this whole idea well, they started playing, some males started playing with Barbie dolls. We got to run down to the hospital and change their gender sort of stuff. So I, that's where I would draw the line. And the other thing I would say is just the same as with the entire month of being Pride Month. I don't have any issue with the LGBTQ community. In fact, I had people that worked for me that were proud members of that community. What I opposed are special accommodations, special privileges. Equal? I'm cool with that. But hadn't we gotten there? I think we're equal. What's now happened is the same thing with the whole racial subject, is that we've crossed the line, and now it's special accommodations. It's affirmative action, as an example. It's, it's managers at American Express getting bonuses based on how many minorities they promote, mm. as an example. And it's a whole month dedicated to the pride community. I mean, our, the Air Force was doing something every day. That's That just seems to be a special accommodation, privilege that others are not receiving. That's what I think is upside down.
2: Yeah, promoting others because of
1: yeah this special when they identify attribute attribute, yeah, in this case, their special attribute is their sexual orientation. I don't want them to be discriminated against, for example, necessarily by our military, but I also don't want to dilute the standards. I don't want to say, well, we got to really uh, water down the uh, the physical tests to serve in certain. Uh, positions in the military, certain jobs in the military, because we got to make sure we handle, I don't know, you know, certain people. I don't want to do that. If it puts national security at risk, that's not in the best interest of the country. Yeah, if you have
2: person A and person B, they have all the same qualifications, same attributes, everything, except for person B has, you know, identifies as something you know LGBTQ. Yeah. Well, that person gets the job versus person A.
1: And, and the same, by the way, is true with all this racial stuff. So Judicial Watch, they they were actually as part of their their records request, I'm looking at it. It's this is um, through a, a FOIA request. This is a 30, 27 page PowerPoint presentation, all dealing with race in the military, yet. Jen Psaki says it's only an hour. This is just one of the treasure trove of documents uh, that they received through that FOIA request. And it pretty much just tells white people, you're racist, get over it, you just got to accept it. He even go into the details about when Barack Obama was was elected, how that just triggered massive racism in the country. Hell, it's white people that put him in office. I don't really get it. I. That's where I think we jump the shark and we go over the line, and it's more than just equality. Now we're giving special accommodations. That, I think, is wrong if if it's done at the expense of merit-based decisions. We're out of here today, back with you tomorrow. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone.